I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Pals, and this episode, we're joined by Nick Labarro from Nick's Flicks Fix, and we're discussing Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff, and this is Popcorn Pals, a popcorn podcast with Lee and Tim Spinoff, where I'll be joined by a rotation of movie-loving legend guest hosts to discuss the latest and greatest new big screen releases. It's the same salty fun with some new flavors. And talking about some new flavors, I could not be more excited to have one of my all-time fave pals, Nick Labarro, joining me from Nick's Flicks. Fix. Hello, mate. Hey, Tim. How are you? That was very nice of you to say. I'm very, very excited and very privileged to be back back on the show on Popcorn Pals this time around. So, Well, I didn't say that the flavor was salty or sweet, did I? So it was sour. We'll find out at the end. Yeah, it's it's a gross flavor. It's been in the cupboard for a bit too long. <laughs> it's a bit stale. It's like those all-flavor <laughs> uh, jelly beans where you get the earwax <laughs> one or the vomit or... Ooh. You just never know what you're going to get with me. And you know what? Part of that is the thrill and the fun. (laughs) Well, let's get on with some thriller and the fun. Now, I've had you on before. So usually when, you know, either myself or Lee were on holidays or whatever, I think the last one you did with Lee was Michael Bay's Ambulance. Was, yes. And we had a great old chat about Jurassic World (laughs) Dominion. We did, yeah, I was, and we were in person for that one because I was down oh, for Sydney shit. Film Festival. We were too, that's right. Wait, so that was 12 months ago then? Yeah, almost 12 months ago, yeah. That's great. Oh, my God, time's flown. That has flown. Oh, it's blowing my mind that we're already that's in crazy. June. 
My gosh. <laughs> I can't believe it. No, but yeah, that was the last. So we had some probably not favorable things to say about Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> Choice I think words. Lee and I had a better time talking about Ambulance than yeah, we did. Yeah, there's, there's more fun to lean into with the Michael Bay movie because it, it's Absolutely. so, it just has fun with itself. But yeah, Jurassic World Dominion, not so much. Now, I'm hoping you can fill in some blanks for our listener because you have approximately 17,000 podcasts going <laughs> at the moment at any given time. Can you share with me how many pies you have your fingers in right now? Oh, God. I'm running out of fingers. We'll say that. <laughs> um, no, no. I, I currently myself have three podcasts. So I do monthly movie marathon with Peter Gray. We watch a whole bunch of films leading up to a blockbuster movie each month. I have one called The Book Was Better, where uh, myself and my friend and literary expert, Georgia Malt, read a novel and watch the film that it was adapted into. And, you know, the age-old question we discussed, was the book better? Mm -hmm. And I have another one with my friends, Kieran Griffiths and Josh Barry, who are also film critics, called That One Inch Barrier, which is a foreign cinema or an international cinema podcast where we choose a movie, we surprise each other with a movie each month sort of dissects and hopefully open up more people to the world of foreign cinema. And the title is obviously based on Bong Joon-ho's Oscar speech where he said, you just have to overcome the one inch barrier of subtitles and you can open up yourself to a whole world of stories. And then I'm on the pop culture essentials podcast oh, yeah. for Nova stream network, which is the company uh, I write for with Alistair and Pete as well. Uh, so that's just, yeah, that's a little bit of what I got going on. Well, uh, that's all we have time for popcorn pals. <laughs> we didn't even get to cover Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> uh, we're across the podcast verse <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Now, before I get into who's who in the zoo and a little synopsis, and then we'll uh, launch into our take on this animated sequel. Now, you had a bit of a battle when you had to go and see Spider-Man oh Across God. the Spider-Verse, but you're a Queenslander, right, Nick? I am. What, what else happened on the same night that Sony decided to put on their most anticipated film of the year? For context, we had a good stretch. There was about two years running where we didn't have this conflict, but every year there, uh, for fans of rugby league, they're a state of origin, mm -hmm. which is... Arguably for rugby league fans like myself, Christmas. It's it's Christmas time for us. It's Queensland versus New South Wales, mate versus mate, state versus state. In the past, if a movie is kind of, it's the screenings the night before its release, I can just go see it on the Thursday of release, still get my review out. But this movie's pretty big <laughs> and I'm a big fan of the first, the first film, Into the Spider-Verse. And it just so happened to be on the same night as game one of State of Origin. There's three games in this series. So... I had to come up with, this is no joke, I came up with what I would believe is an Ocean's Eleven style high slash plan. Please share. <laughs> I went to the screening. So I went to the screening of the film and it clocks in at two hours 20, right? Yeah. It's a long movie. Mm -hmm. And I was going to miss the first half of the game, but Nine Now, the app on our Telstra TV, has the ability to restart live programming. Mm, it's a new function. It's a new function, which is a fantastic function because it saved my butt last night. <laughs> so I found out from the Sony reps and I don't want this to be a spoiler for anything, but that there was no post credit scene. So I ran out of the cinema as soon as I saw directed by, I called my partner up and I said, get the nine now app up and running hit live restart live stream. I've gotten home fast and furious style safely all under the speed limit, but a little bit fast and furious <laughs> and literally walked in the door 30 seconds before the delayed kickoff and sat down and watched all the state of origin. I didn't go to bed till about, Oh, actually, on top of that as well, at halftime, I filmed my 
90 second video review for Instagram. I was wondering when you had squeezed that in. I, at half time, as soon as the <laughs> half, I jumped up, came into the little studio here, filmed it, edited it, uh, scheduled it for the embargo time and wiped my hands clean and then watched the second half of State of Origin. And Queensland won. And Queensland won. Oh, don't, we don't have enough time to get into how good that was, but it was a, we came back from the death and we won game one. So I'm a very happy man today. I'll say that much for free. Yeah, look, um, you'd be surprised that I gave you so much voice to share a sports ball story. I know this is, I've never been able to share my passion for sport on a film podcast before. So I appreciate it. Let alone the, facilitated the by me. So you're welcome, my friend. I appreciate you very, very much. All right. Let's get on with the show. So Spider-Man. Man Across the Spider-Verse is the second film in Miles Morales' Spider-Verse trilogy. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse, where he encounters the Spider Society, a team of spider people charged with protecting the multiverse's very existence. But when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders and must redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. Now, Across the Spider-Verse is directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers and Justin K. Thompson from a screenplay by legends Bill Lord and Christopher Miller and also David Callahan based on Marvel Comics. The film stars a, a voice cast unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, animated voice casts are just through the roof. Whatever animated film it is, they come to the party. Incredible. So we have Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Isa Ray, Karen Sonny, Daniel Kaluuya, and Oscar Isaac unbelievable cast that's huge unreal unreal let's quickly just talk about the first film in this trilogy you mentioned that you're a huge fan of it now the the comic book aesthetic that the animation lent into on the first one was unlike anything that we had ever seen before what were your first impressions when you saw the first one from an animation perspective oh it was flawless like technically flawless i i remember seeing it in the cinema, I remember there was like an advanced screening or something. And right from just the opening credits, the Marvel logo, the Sony logo, mm. and its distortion. And and I was kind of like, this is feels different already, but it's just seamless ability to, you know, blend animation styles together. Yeah. Uh, really made it like have a vibrancy that I don't think I'd ever seen in animation before. Mm. And I remember in my review back then, I said it genuinely felt like a comic book come to life on screen yes. in, in a way that's never been done. So it's it's visually flawless. And then somehow they've topped it in this one. Ah, you reckon, you reckon. Well, we'll get into that for sure. <laughs> and and obviously the, the first one, the story had so much energy to it as well. It was a brilliant script. Mm. Oh, amazing. Really, really great character work. And it finally lifted the hood on the Miles Morales comic book story and giving him his own space, his own story, his own movie that fans had wanted for so long. It went on to win the Oscar for Best Animated Film and it made close to US $400 million worldwide. So it was a massive, massive hit. Huge hit and, and even more so on that, it beloved by audiences. Like it, it became almost the quintessential Spider-Man movie, for, I feel, for so many people. Mm. And as someone who... 
I enjoy the MCU. I'm not, I'm not a diehard fan, but I do enjoy it. I've liked Toby, uh, not Toby McGuire. What's the other kid? Tom Holland. I've liked his, <laughs> I've liked his Spider-Man films. For me, I feel into the Spider-Verse almost pretty much became my favorite Spider-Man film. And then the, the way I think Miles Morales's story, like you were saying, it had so much depth to the characters and it felt like a, a grounded human story, which is, yeah. you know, something that you don't always get in these big superhero films. And there's something to the animation style that I think really lends to that as well. It, it, having something that feels so unique visually, mm. but still so grounded character wise is it makes for a very engaging piece of cinema for sure. Beautifully put. And I think, so when the first one came out in 2018, so we're talking five years ago, superhero movie fatigue was starting to creep in. I think oh, it, God, it, yeah. we were leading up to Avengers Endgame, which was the pinnacle of the MCU over 10 or so years. But since then, superhero fatigue has really fucking hit and hammered down. And it's actually getting me down and I'm getting more and more frustrated every superhero movie that I go and see. So this injection of, of, of a fresh story and a fresh take on comic books in in the first one was so welcome. Now, you say that this sequel has somehow topped it in better. Do you think this movie has saved us from superhero fatigue? What do you reckon? I'm in two ways about it because I think visually it's it's fantastic. Like it, it somehow has topped the visuals of the first film. Yes, which is no mean feat. Like how on earth? I, oh. We'll talk about the visuals a little later on in the episode, but my, my God, what an assault on the senses. It is insane what they pull off in this film, but. In regards to being a superhero film, mm. the thing that I, I, and I won't say it suffers from this, but the thing that I did notice a lot is that like many sequels, sometimes bigger and bolder doesn't always mean better. Mm-hmm. And this movie definitely falls into the superhero sequel traps of we have to be so bombastic because it needs to be bigger than the last yeah. film. It executes a lot of stuff really well. And I know we'll get into it, but there, there is that hanging over the head. Now, in regards to superhero fatigue, this is arguably what the best superhero film of the last five years. I, th- I okay. think that's pretty safe to say. But in re- it doesn't necessarily divert away from all the tropes to be, you know, it's still at the end of the day a superhero film. I will say this, as appreciated and brilliantly written as all I think the, the character stuff in this mm. movie was goes real deep on character development and character arcs. And you, we have two leads in this movie. We've got Gwen Stacy and we've got yep. Mars Morales, which totally. was such a welcome change in terms of the focus of the story in this movie. It's definitely Miles's film, but it's also equally as much Gwen's. Mm. And there's some really great plot devices here, but I think it suffers from the fact that there's another one coming out next year and it's holding on to stuff, does a whole lot of setup, setup, yeah. setup, and it's on a cliffhanger, all the rest of it. But the general pace of this movie was the thing that I had the most issue with from a story perspective. Because as you mentioned before, it's two hours and 20 minutes long. Yeah, it's long. Yikes. Every fucking movie these days is over two it hours. It has to be over two hours. I don't be. get it. And it's not that, in saying that, I because I'm the same as you, I felt the length. Mm. I really did feel the length of this film. I don't know how much you can condense this story because, like you said, it's a part one. Ultimately, it's a part one. Mm. And it suffers from part one syndrome, yeah. which we can definitely break down because I have thoughts about part one syndrome. But in saying that, there's there's probably a few things I could have that could have been trimmed down in regards to the family element of the film and Miles' conflict with his own parents. Mm. Is It's a very big part of what makes his character and, and it actually 
a fantastic addition, like you said, into how you know deep the characters go. But there's a lot of it. Yes. And there's a lot of it early on. And it makes the beginning of the film feel very long. I, I couldn't agree more. I come with this statement about all of that is that scenes and moments just seem to linger on screen for totally. ages. And it's Can I yeah. give an if you have the same example, the rooftop scene. Yeah, my God. The party. Didn't think we'd ever come down from that roof. No. And and not only do we go away from it, we come back to it after a scene yeah. as well. And I was like, this scene feels very long. So I'm like, yeah, I thought we'd feel the same about that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. We stayed on that rooftop for probably a good 20 minutes. It felt like yeah. it. it felt yeah, like I mean, well, between all the different character interactions, Miles go- comes, goes, comes back. Does he sleep? Does Miles? I know he's a teenager and they have cooked sleeping schedules in general, but like I, I genuinely don't think Miles Morales sleeps <laughs> with all the stuff he's doing. Well, it's like that age-old thing where it, it was really that the hood was lifted on that TV series Twenty Four, where it's like, did any of the characters <laughs> go to the toilet? <laughs> right, because you're with can't, them for twenty. Can't go to the toilet hours. when you're saving the world. Yeah, exactly. So it's the whole thing. Does Does Spider Man ever sleep? Uh, Miles Morales <laughs> does not in this in this no. Spider Verse. But yeah, everything lingers. For a long time. So even the action sequences, like when the pace is go, 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 it is go, 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 oh. go. And they even potentially go on for too long, too much of a good thing. Yeah. And then you're begging for a breath, right? You're begging for a break and they give you a break and you end up on a rooftop for 20 minutes talking about, you know, Just will family I ever be issues understood and... family issues, you're grounded yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And him trying to, I guess, find himself and decide what he wants to do, you know, all, all that sort of uh, deep character work. Mm. And so that really impacted the pace for me in a story that had so many amazing ingredients, but it struggled to mix them all together as effectively as mm. I was hoping they would. It just feels like a, a movie a bit too big for its boots mm. at the moment. It's fitting a lot in and considering, like we said, it is a part one, the incomplete nature of the story, like when credits start coming up mm. you kind of go oh that was a big ride that's a big ride and i really wish i had some sort of conclusion mm. to it right mm. now mm. It's, it's the whole thing about a crescendo when mm. like when the beat doesn't drop it starts to get really frustrating and you just you just want the beat to drop and enjoy that moment and it yep. can go up and down that's fine but this movie, the the beat, well, I mean, when it did drop, it dropped hard and you stayed there oh, for a while. But, totally. but leading up to the end, it was just kept crescendoing, crescendoing, and then the beat drops on, oh, you got to wait 12 months for the next one, kid. And and I think as well, uh, and I'll say this to myself I, I, in saying that the story that it is telling and it is going to be telling of the next movie as well is actually pretty awesome. Mm. Like what it sets up, I was like, oh, this is something that I haven't actually seen really explored in a Spider-Man universe before. And it's added an element of the character of Spider-Man is always someone who's trying to figure out his identity and like, what is what is a hero? What is a person? And how do I meld the two together? Mm. And this movie is going to play with those conventions. I, well, this series, sorry, is going to play with those conventions in an incredible way. So I don't think the story is bad. I, and I don't think the characters are bad, but like we've been saying, too much is happening yeah and too much of a good thing is is sometimes too much it's just that it's almost like a it's like the law of diminishing returns it keeps pumping and pumping and pumping and by the time the the ending happened i felt like it lost a little bit of impact for me no matter how big certain reveals are Mm. i kind of went okay yeah cool well i'm excited to see this like i said in 12 months time 
play out. So It's funny that you say that that was your nonchalant reaction because I had the same thing. And I don't mm. know whether it came down to the fact that when you're trying to build up to a punchline or, or a cliffhanger, sometimes you you can't just drag people through the dirt. You've got to just get totally. them there. And it took yeah. them a while. Like you figured it out before yeah. they actually told you in the end. And mm. I never do that. Like I never see yeah. anything coming. And it just took them so damn long to actually open up the box that I was You had like, time to think about it. I had you way had... too much time to think about it because maybe – I mean, this movie is so self-indulgent visually, but it gets away with it. But I think from a story perspective, it was a bit self-indulgent too, where it just kept Mm. hooking you in. Oh, we're just going to marinate in this for a bit too long. And then it just, it sours a little bit. Yeah. And I think in, in saying that where, when it is self-indulgent, it's noticeable. Mm. I know the whole idea is that we've opened ourselves up to the spider society and the spider verse. Mm. And there's some great moments. There's some really funny moments. There's some unique spider characters that you know you'd never think you would see let alone after seeing spider pig uh spider (laughs) ham sorry and into the spider verse there's a part during the spider society scene where i was kind of like i get i get it now i i i get it we're in the spot okay cool we're in the spider verse i understand yeah we got more people and then we have an insane action scene which visually amazing i was sitting there and i was gobsmacked at what i was looking at Mm. it is it is truly revolutionary animation but it was getting towards the end of that action scene and the stakes that are at play there i was kind of like i know what's happening i know similar to you i was like i know where this is going and i looked at my watch and i wish i didn't because then i'm like and there's still 40 minutes of this oh, movie left yeah that's never a and that's idea. the worst feeling that is mm. the worst feeling mm. so because that's where i thought the movie was starting to wrap up and ramp up and then i was like oh no we've still got a lot going on here but it's quite a tell when you're watching a movie and you do check the time but with all due respect like Mm. when when you're watching a movie it's definitely about half of the experience is definitely about your like where you are mentally what sort of mood you're in do you think that with the state of origin (laughs) on that you were just you were just too distracted is that a fair question to ask it's it's a completely fair question because i was actually thinking about it uh, on that drive home and before I recorded the review. Mm. And I noticed that in the moments of the movie that I felt were lacking is when I started thinking about that. Right. When the movie had me, I was in. Yeah. I was completely hooked. Same. And again, it's I there is there is no world where this movie gets a negative review from me because it's bold, it's ambitious, and it does a lot of stuff right. Yeah. But those things that it did do wrong were noticeable. Mm. And that is the points in time where I was kind of when I was like oh, yeah, I'll be going to watch the footy soon and, oh, yeah, no, we're still on the rooftop. That's all right. Oh, I think Queensland's <laughs> going to win. Um, oh, action scene and we're back to the rooftop. So that's similar yeah. sort of, that's where I was at. But it's I think it's a completely fair question, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Also, just to build on the fact that it does so much, it's like cameo, cameo, cameo. Mm. It's twist and turn. It's set up, Here's this spider of universe. Here's this universe, yeah. this unique universe. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, oh, let's throw in a meta reference. Let's throw in a fan service yeah. moment. Like this movie has it all. And I'm wondering, just more, the more that I've thought about it and collecting my thoughts together, it's like, because we're in a society where if you don't give each individual type of audience what they expect and want, they're going to review bomb and they're going to tear it apart. Yeah, Do you totally. think they were trying to people please too much in this movie in some of the things that they were doing? I think I think so because 
when you look at Into the Spider-Verse, that to me doesn't feel like a movie that's trying to please every fan. Mm. That was actually just, like we said, a grounded story that happened to take place in Spider-Man. It was more a movie about Miles finding out who he is and the hero that he could be more than it was about the Spider-Verse itself. Yeah. The Spider-Verse was just a cool place to have it. Mm. This movie is, while it has that, like, I think Miles, uh, and in saying that, Gwen Stacy's character development is absolutely brilliant and it really holds the film together, really holds those characters down. Mm. There was more of that fan service stuff that overshadowed that. So you can have a really touching moment where Miles is struggling with his identity and being like, I don't know what Spider-Man, I want. all, all I want to be is Spider-Man yet, you know, I'm not getting support from the spider society or whatever. And then all of a sudden we're in, I won't spoil any of the universes that it goes to or the cameos that it does have. But then you go, for example, there's, there's a really touching moment where he comes into spider society and then there's a certain character that pops up yeah. and that got a massive reaction from our audience clapping and cheering and, and all of that. And I, all I could do is sit there and think, I was like, we were just, having this really great moment with miles there. Like I was finding out more about where his character is going to go. And we've, we've halted it because we happen to be somewhere cooler than what the story is trying to be. And that happens a lot in this movie. I just want to call out one thing that you mentioned there, which was the, the audience reaction. I could Mm. definitely feel that I was in a screening of fanboys and girls <laughs> yeah, that were just totally, lapping yeah. up all this stuff that was, that was happening. And just, it feels good that you know someone's having a good time, but then it's also distracting you even further from, oh, this is going to sound like such a ponce, like I'm a film critic guy. <laughs> but, you know, you were saying you, you were, we were just in this really great moment of character and then you were taken out of it and then further taken out of it by the audience reactions. Yeah, I just felt like that was just something that this film really uh, indulged in knowing the sort of reaction it was going to get. But they, at the moment they were working on something really beautiful from a character story perspective and then they get they get distracted themselves. Yep. Is this the Avengers Endgame No Way Home problem where it was alleged that when they were editing together, say No Way Home, that beats were left in the film for audience reactions, Daredevil's oh. Daredevil coming into it, when the three Spider-Man or when you know Andrew Garfield rocks up, that and and this has never been confirmed, and it it could be just complete speculation. However, when you think about it, like these are event movies, and and even though I would say across the Spider Verse is ha- or does have a lot more substance than a lot of the superhero movies that we are watching today, Very much they are like you said still catering to fans as an event film, mm. and when these moments happen, and that those beats take you out of the narrative, it it kind of sucks, and I I don't I can't actually i don't recall because i watched into the spider-verse recently that really being an issue in that film Mm. whereas it is an issue in this film and despite being bigger and bolder and more ambitious and and so much larger in scale it's almost to the detriment of everything that not everything i shouldn't be so hyperbolic but (laughs) there is a minor detriment to the foundation that was established with miles morales's character leaning into having too much of a good thing too much. Mm, so absolutely. just to pull on your point about those fan service moments, those reactions, whether they in the edit hold on it to allow for mm. um, applause, 10 seconds, please, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> but it's used sparingly. Yeah. And I, and I think where it becomes distracting and a bit obvious and on the nose is when those moments are peppered through so many times, they lose their impact and effectiveness. 
Uh, Avengers Endgame used it very, very well. There's, you know, the Avengers yep. Assemble moment. There's the Stormbreaker moment. There's a few things like, you know, all all the women yep. heroes coming together in that moment. There's there's a few, but in in across the Spider Verse, it's like oh, there's one around every corner. I think the difference with those ones, especially, is Endgame is payoff. Endgame is payoff mm. of twenty plus movies, ten years of Marvel. So true. Whereas this is the second film. Mm-hmm. And even though it, it does integrate, it talks about the fact that all Spider-Verses or every Spider-Man movie we've basically seen has an effect on, on this Spider-Verse, so to say. I don't feel like it's earned its ability to have those moments in such frequency. Yeah. It, but I mean, fans, Spider-Fans could be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, we've been waiting for this for years. So it's a... Again, that brings up the debate. Is this actually a great film or is it a great event? Exactly. Well, is there anything else on story or script you want to cover off or do we want to start talking about some of the characters? Happy to jump into characters. Well, let's talk about Miles Morales, Shamik Moore. We have Mm. Miles. He's going from a boy to a man here. Certainly uh, physically as well. He's kind of had a bit of a a mid-teens growth spurt, <laughs> which is great also from an animation perspective because it shows a, a difference between the first and second film. He's also developing his his skills and his abilities as Spider-Man as well. So there's some really cool stuff that we're seeing there. But the thing that really jumped out at me from a character piece that is really beautifully elevated is the fact that Miles, he's half black, half Puerto Rican. And, mm. and that's such a, an important cultural thing that they weave in, especially with his relationship with his parents. And it determines the decisions he makes, all the things about his life and his relationship with his family that matter culturally as well. And I just really liked those layers of the story and character work here because it made the stakes really high and it made his character arc quite a beautiful one to see play out on screen. Yeah, it puts the man in Spider-Man, right? Like that's exactly what it does. And uh, there's a great joke. I love the joke in the film where... Uh, Miles's mum and dad are discussing Spider-Man just in general. And they're like, oh yeah, I heard he's Dominican. And then Miles pops up and he's like, actually, I heard he was Puerto Rican. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 fun. It's a, it's a celebration of culture, yeah. but also the ability to be diverse outside of the superheroes themselves. Like, you know, the people that these, you know, people are, I guess you could say, you know, who Miles is, who Gwen is, even who uh, Peter, Par- Peter B. Parker is with Jake Johnson's character. Mm. It's an incredible celebration of diversity. and understanding you know how different cultures familial issues relate to each other and i I think that's adds so much more authenticity to the film than having all alien species and all the you know then what we see in superhero movies if it's harder to relate to characters who you don't identify with Mm. but when you bring them to uh, to the audience at such a human level that's why Miles' story is engaging. No matter how long it feels, it's still engaging. Yeah, and what you have here is a franchise that has come of age, just like in the first movie was more of a coming of age. This franchise is coming of age and pretty hard and fast. Oh, yeah. You really know what sort of tonal shift you're in for with this movie based on the opening scene where you dig deeper into Gwen Stacy's backstory, which which is teased to in the first one about how she lost, quote-unquote, her Peter in her universe yep. because everyone's had that sort of scenario, Uncle Ben, a, a father, or, or mm. a Peter dying, or who is the Spider-Man or Spider-Woman in that multiverse and all the layers that come with it. And so I think that the tonal shift leans into Miles' character as well about a boy becoming a man, like I said, 
and him realizing what's at stake and and the real well with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> uh I, it had to be said had to be. but it says it in a much more nuanced and, and layered way than mm. that sort of cliched line i feel it, yeah. it balances that tightrope really really well yeah absolutely and i, th- I think it's it's doesn't ever lose its fundamental core of what Spider-Man is. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about it. It is still managing to, I don't say this in a negative connotation, it still manages to recycle the Spider-Man narrative oh, that we've seen done multiple times before with literally three different Spider-Men, mm-hmm. but have it in a way that is still, it feels fresh. It still feels like that they're expanding on that in in a way that is engaging. It's repetitive, and and we get you get the point of it pretty quickly. And even though the movie still tries to really, you know, hammer it home throughout the runtime, it's part of what makes this movie so relatable. And it's funny, I was having this discussion with someone the other day. I can't remember what movie we were talking about, but uh, oh, sorry, actually, it was a little little mermaid funny because I was listening to Last Pop Compound's podcast about it, and I was having a thought to myself, and I was like, I think that movie lost some of the magic that animation's able to hold. Yes, and that's what I feel like with this film is that the animation gives it a certain heightened over-reality, you know, mm-hmm. but animation still has this ability to tell incredibly human and incredibly authentic stories because that's what those people are going through, everything that is relatable to us. So I think when you break the barrier and you kind of go, I'm in this completely fantastical, fully animated, looks nothing like real life world, those human elements hit a lot harder. And if they're done well, like they are in this movie, mm. they stay with you for longer. And that's why I think they're, there is a lot of excitement going into this film, especially with Miles Morales' story. Yeah, definitely. And another story which comes to the forefront, which we mentioned briefly earlier, is is Gwen Stacy's story, mm. voiced by Haley Steinfeld. I was in awe of her voice work. I was in awe of her story. She's the star of this movie. Like, right. Shamik Moore's incredible, but Haley Steinfeld steals the show. She really, really does. There is some shit that her Gwen is going through <laughs> yeah. that is dealt with such grace as well. Um, and it's not afraid to go real deep and to show a person who's struggling, but what she does to try and overcome that and also find her place in the world and who the people that she wants in it to, to get there. But before we, before we go any deeper there, I just got to get something off my chest here because I, I was sitting watching this movie going far out she looks so much like an actress that is just screaming at me. And I I wouldn't say I was distracted by it, but I was determined before the end of the film that I was going to crack the Da Vinci Code as to figure it out. who <laughs> does she look like. And I figured it out. Yeah. Hopefully you agree. I'm not a mad person. Yeah. <laughs> but she looks like Vanessa Kirby. Oh my God. No, it's yeah. Right. It's the facial structure and the, the like the way the, the blonde bangs go that. Yeah. 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 There was just something about it. I, I thought, it. Have they modelled Gwen Stacy in this movie? Because I didn't oh, vibe it as much in, in the first one because I know they made some slight tweaks to the characters, improved the animation and all that sort of character work mm. stuff. But I was like, far out. I feel like I'm watching an animated Vanessa Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see it. I actually, no, I totally see it. Um, like, It's funny you say that because there was a part of me that noticed the animation changes of of Gwen Stacy or Spider Woman mm. as mm. well uh, compared to the first one. So, and I think a part of that as well is that, and this isn't giving too much weight because it happens in the first sort of 20 minutes, her Spider-Verse has a completely unique animation style to what we saw in Into the Spider-Verse. She lives in a completely differently animated world, it's which is another pro beautiful. of the film. 
it is outstanding. Like you would reserve that sort of animation for, again, this isn't a dig at anyone, a pretentious <laughs> short art film. You know, know what I mean? Like, mean. you know, this is getting nominated for a light, for animated short at the Oscars and mm. it's this beautiful pastel, almost watercolour. Yeah, yeah. But it's per universe and it is done so well. And I think that's where I noticed the difference mm. where they've updated or updated, I guess, the only word I can think of, her character. Yeah. I mean, it was just, yeah, let's talk about that because that animation really, really struck a chord with me because mm. it lent into the the emotion that her character was feeling and the things that she was dealing with at that time where yeah. things would just bleed into each other and like and and mold and and disappear like it was very yeah. focused animation where the backgrounds would just blend in these beautiful pastels yeah, yeah they would just blur because the focus was very much in the moment for her and what she was grappling with, be it conversation with her father or or when her Peter died or her longing to be reconnected with Miles. Like it was really, really striking. And I kind of, not that I, I wish the whole movie looked like that. I don't think it would have worked, but it definitely opened the film with an impact, not only in, oh, yeah. in resetting the tone of what we were in for for this sequel, but then also what we were in for from an aesthetic perspective when we jump between all the different dimensions, it's like every yep. every dimension had its own individual visual stamp and they just they yep. fucking went for it. But there was yeah. meaning and emotion behind those decisions that they just set up perfectly in, in the opening. Agreed. Absolutely agree. I don't think I can add anything to that. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormal Maladies, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> now, let's talk about Jason Schwartzman's character. Now, he's yes. the bad guy in this. 
And for the life of me, which goes to show maybe how prepared or unprepared I am for this episode. The I, spot. The spot. Oh, my God. It's so basic. How did I forget <laughs> that his name was the spot? That is I think so they call him, they joke, they call him the Dalmatian at one point uh, as a joke as well. So yeah. I didn't know until literally right when you read that cast list that this was Jason, Jason Schwartzman. Right. And I spent the whole movie going, who the fuck is this voice? I could pick everyone else. Yeah. I picked Andy Samberg. I picked all the other voice cut. And then I was like, who is it? And it was annoying me because I knew the voice. Mm. And obviously because my state of origin priorities kicked in, I didn't <laughs> stay for the end credits. Could have looked up on IMDb, just had a big day. But then when you read it, I was like, oh my God. That's right. I told you who the actor was and you told me what the character was. told me who the was. character was. <laughs> so the spot. Funny, like a really funny character, and they even joke in the film that he's a villain of the week. Yeah, like he there is there is no Spider-Man comic series. I'm assuming that has the spot as the villain. So the fact that, and I think this is a testament to Lord and Miller mm. that they've taken this literal joke of a villain who, for the first part of the film, is a like bumbling idiot yeah. trying to figure out his powers. He's a fool. He's a fool. He's genuinely a fool. Not only give him a great substance as a villain. Mm. When they reveal the backstory, I was like, oh, that's very well done. That's very smart. Whether you thought of that back in the, into the Spider-Verse, no spoils, but mm. if you thought of that back then or, you know, retconned it to, for this film, that's great. My only issue is that he goes away for a long portion yes. of this movie. Thank you. There's an antagonist swap. Yeah. When he mm. comes back, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. The spot's in this. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. I look, I don't love I don't love this character. I actually mm. found him quite irritating and annoying. <laughs> to the point I can I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> and like I guess that's the point. But when you mm. have a character, in my opinion, a really well written annoying character also has endearing qualities. I mean, I mm. know that he's also the villain of the piece. But I still think there there should also be a humanity to villains. And there were a few things that they didn't get right. One of them was the fact that he did disappear for so long, like literally in a hole or whatever. Um, <laughs> literally, yeah. In, in, well, sorry, actually, I won't say that. <laughs> there is a great joke about holes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My holes can take me anywhere was a line that I <laughs> That recall. was brilliant. Please stop yeah. talking about holes. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> It was really well done. It was really well done. Yeah. yeah, but I found him mildly annoying, and I didn't, I didn't warm to him. And then when you said there's that whole antagonist change and the things develop and stuff, it's like, who is the villain? Where's the focus? Um, yeah, what? Sh- who should we care about? Wh- wh- who is the big bad and what's ahead? I just mm. again, I think it was a hangover from the length of the movie and them trying to throw too much at the wall, hoping it stuck. Totally, I I wasn't as irritated as as the spot, obviously, as as you've said you were, because mm. I I I did find endearing elements, especially early on when we are introduced to the spot and what he's doing in his introduction scene, mm-hmm. and he has some really interesting lines about what he's doing and why he's doing it. And I thought, and then again when they add that backstory, I thought that was actually decent substance. It kind of reminded me of Michael Keaton's The Vulture. Oh, yeah. Is that he's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's been forced to do bad things. You know what? That's such a good point. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm I'm very in- excited to see what happens with this character. But again, to both our points, he goes away. I, you could argue that he is probably the big bad because of just his abilities. Mm. But 
this is where I was talking about earlier, part one syndrome. Oh yeah, please unpack that. So ultimately this is how I felt the first time I ever noticed it back in the day was <laughs> a Hunger Games Mockingjay part one. Now I'm not a big fan of the Hunger Games franchise, but mm. that's where I fully noticed when that movie ends, I went, okay, I see what you're doing, but I feel like this movie is incredibly incomplete. Great and I know that's intentional yeah. and that's totally like, you know, the studio just wants to make money. I get it. Another example recently was June part one. Yeah. I found June to be same as this movie, visually amazing, yeah. really likes the characters, tedious to sit through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A great example of it working well is Avengers infinity war. Oh. That movie ends Yeah, where that movie ends. You can be like, that's the end. The good guys are dead. Thanos won. Bang. Cliffhanger by definition. That's the cliffhanger. Exactly. Even though we know the good guys are coming back. And they're going to hopefully defeat Thanos in an endgame. No spoilers if you haven't seen endgame. That's a good example of a, a part one cliffhanger. Mm. Across the Spider-Verse does that. It's a part one. But it is it suffers from what Mockingjay part one and June part one had. Is that it is so much build up to a reveal mm-hmm. that doesn't close out the movie. It just makes you go, all right, see you in 12 months. Yep. We'll finish the story then. Yeah. That's exciting because I want to see how this story finishes because it was getting me, especially that last third, like last third of the movie. I was kind of like, I like where these characters are going. I like where this story is going. I think it's very mature storytelling. I don't think people are expecting the reveals or where this was going to go, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That I was like, there's no, I, I felt it was very incomplete. And that's frustrating. That's part one syndrome. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things to pull out of what you said that I completely agree with you, it, it has peppered its way, part one syndrome, through Hollywood the last 10 or 15 years because totally, the, the Harry Potter yeah. franchise did it with Deathly Hallows part one, part two. Yep. Mockingjay is an excellent example because the, the part one suffers under the weight of the fact that not a great deal happens because the the exciting stuff happens in part two. It just has part to, two. It's just that bridge to get you there, which is also yep. Deathly Hallows part one in the Harry Potter franchise. Lee and I talked about this on the podcast at length because we were both really, really excited for the Wicked movie. And oh, yes. it's definitely a money-making thing. And I understand that the economy of filmmaking is fucking expensive and you've got to do your best to turn a profit when, you, when you're spending totally. hundreds of millions of dollars making these damn things. But to split Wicked into two parts makes mm. me really nervous because I'm just trying to think of where they're going to satisfyingly end this story in part one for it to keep your interest and not feel empty and then entice you back. Or maybe Wicked does, won't yeah. have that problem. Yeah, I think it's going to end on Defying Gravity. That's my, that's right. my take. Part one will end on Defying Gravity and then we'll pick up from there. But then the other issue is what sort of fodder do you put in to expand? Yep. The runtime, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you split Wicked down the middle, do you have, you know, I, I've actually never seen Wicked to be honest, so I don't know how long the stage show goes for, but let's say it goes for two and a half hours, right? Yeah, about that. Do you split the movie equally and have two hour, 15 minute long films yeah, or two hour and a like half long? In cinema, does no, it? No, it's a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. You need it to be over two hours. Like there is no blockbuster movie under two hours yeah. these days. Yeah. So what, what are we filling that story with? Mm. Is it going to be really good character development stuff? Which again, across the Spider-Verse has. Mm. But when that's your, all you have to fill it with and you keep repeating it, mm. you kind of go, shit, man, I get it. Like it's, yeah. Or, so this is such a tangent, but I just, 
No, no, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> Obviously, Wicked is like a lot happened before Dorothy dropped in. What if the bridging scenes are literally a remake oh. of Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz. <laughs> that, that's just what part two is, right? It's just a re- <laughs> Wizard yeah, of Oz remake. We'll actually get the full Wicked in part one. And then it's like, surprise, we remade Wizard of Oz. How good would they call it if they called it the Wizard of Oz Wicked part two? <laughs> Dorothy's Return, some stupid shit. I think there is actually a Wizard of Oz sequel. Isn't it called Dorothy's Return? Or something that's returning the title. It might be. It might be, yeah. Yeah. Return to Oz or something. Return, oh, that's probably it. I I just have this vision of the movie poster and it's it's cooked. Like, it just looks really, really (laughs) terrifying. I think it was made in the seventies or eighties, where all all that sort of that. I'll have to look this up. This is great. Yeah, no, I think hopefully I'm right, but. Um, yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> cooked. It looks fucking weird. Weird <laughs> AF. Um, I love it. I love it. I want to quickly talk about a character who I just adored in this. It's Jessica Drew. Yes. Who Issa Rae, is voiced right? by yeah. Issa Rae. Pregnant Spider-Woman comes in, kicks ass on a motorcycle. They make reference yeah. that she's pregnant and then that's it. Like they just move on yeah. how it should be. And she's there trying to save the world, yeah. I guess, to create a safer world for her child. But I just love yep. seeing a kick-ass woman on a motorbike who's pregnant and nothing's holding her back. It was cool. It was just fucking cool. Yeah. And and I and I also think the voice acting there is fantastic as well. Mm. It's just uh, a voice that suits the character so incredibly well. But you're right. In, fa- in fairness, that is the best way to compare what the story should have been to what the story was. Mm-hmm. Give us the meat and bones. And just have it play out and let us all enjoy it as opposed to, like, imagine every second joke about Jessica Drew was like, and remember, I'm pregnant on a motorcycle. <laughs> like, it's, you know what I mean? It gets annoying after a while. That's actually quite a funny line. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe maybe that could have been all right. <laughs> that massive action scene in the Spider Society and then it just ends with, and I was pregnant on a motorcycle the whole time. <laughs> and everyone's just, then you hear the, the pause of the film and the whole audience claps along. Yeah, yeah. Event cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other characters or performances that you want to call out that were particularly enjoyable for you? The the only one I, I have I want to call out just based on the voice acting was Brian Tyree Henry as Miles' dad. Yes, thank you. I th- I think he is, he's a fantastic actor as is. He's very versatile. He had Causeway last year, which he was you know awards buzzed around. Mm. He was also in Bullet Train, which he's fantastic he's in. Good. I think movie dads, especially in the superhero genre, are a pivotal role, and even more so in in Spider Man's universe mm-hmm. or, or father figures, I guess I should say, in that sense. So he has this fantastic. He balances so well the comedy of being a corny dad, especially a corny cop dad yeah. who is trying to understand his teenage son, but then when he has to have those heart to hearts, it's really emotionally driven. And I think a lot of that comes through Brian Tyree Henry's performance. I think he's brilliant. He is one of my favorite actors right now. Oh God, he's amazing, isn't he? He's excellent in Causeway. Did you see that last year? I haven't yet. No, it's on the eternal list of movies to watch, but I've heard nothing but good things, especially about him. Yeah, I mean, the movie's the movie's good. It's a, it's a tight 90 minutes, which is rare these days. Love it. And and he he scored an Oscar nomination for his performance, and it is simply mm. stunning, a really, really great piece of work. And it really shows when you have an actor who has such diverse talent that can translate those emotions and those character connections through 
all the different mediums. So the fact that he can still resonate so deeply with, with you as a viewer, with me, mm. as a father figure, a father that you mm. can all, that you all see in your own dad or other father figures, you know, the real totally. corny, but also just wanting to understand as well. Mm. And yeah, his, his voice work is stunning here. So nice to Brilliant. call his work out there, mate. So we, we've obviously talked about the aesthetic of this movie quite freely throughout the episode so far, but let's give it its own little section here because it really does mm. deserve it. Just like we explore more dimensions across the Spider-Verse, that provides new visual tapestries for the animators to really, really deliver and flex. And boy, do they ever. I mean, no wonder it took five years for this movie to come out because you don't turn around a visual spectacle like this overnight. God, no. Um, I actually read something today. Spider-Punk, who's a character we haven't discussed yet. Oh, um, so cool. Who is one of the alternative Spider-Mans, voiced by Daniel Kaluuya as well. Yep. Took three to four years to animate that character in every scene on its own. Like there was, there was a specific animation team who worked for four years on every single frame of that character. And it pays off because it is, it's like, imagine every sex pistols album cover. Yeah. That's just what he looks like for the whole time he's in the film. And spider punk's in a fair bit of the film, not only in just walking, talking, you know, I'm a, anarchist anti-establishment character which has some great he has some great jokes and he's just so witty and that voice Danny Clue is great but in the action scenes that whole vibe and that whole aesthetic is around him throughout all the action so when he's web slinging ass kicking he looks like a Sex Pistols album cover the entire time and it's brilliant it is stunning it's almost like he's a he's a cutout he yeah totally he does he looks like he's not there but he's that. There's he's no there. way to explain it well. I don't have the vocabulary to do His that. His presence yeah. is felt like he is there in the scene. Mm. He is amazing, and that's Absolutely. actually one of the characters that I couldn't figure out who was voicing him um, while while yeah, I was, right. while yeah, I was yeah. watching it. So when I when I joined the dots after, I was like, holy shit. I mean, that, there's an, awesome. there's another actor that I can't get enough of these days. Daniel <sighs> Kaluuya. His work is absolutely stunning. My gosh. Oh god, he's incredible. Outside of that, like we've said, all the Spider-Verses have their own unique animation style. Mm. Like when they go to uh, Mumbatan, which is like an Indian version oh, of I Manhattan. I that place. That scene was fantastic. Wow. Like it was, and the action scene that takes place in there or the set piece that takes place there. That was probably my favorite one. I agree. I, I genuinely think, even though I, I definitely was more, I guess, visually arrested by Gwen Stacy's universe, sure. especially from an emotional point yep. of view, yep. for that that vibrancy and that in, that vivid sort of, you know, energetic style of animation mm. for me happened in that in in Mumbatan, and I thought that was fantastic. You know, the statistic that you shared about how damn long it, it took to, <laughs> to animate this thing, like yeah. I genuinely are, are in awe of filmmakers. Just period, right? Filmmakers yeah, yeah. just blow me away. What yeah. goes into making movies? It's like one of these things that I bring up on the podcast all the time is no one goes out of their way to make a bad movie. The director on day one is not like, right, okay, everyone gather around. Come on, please, please, people. <laughs> so we're here to make a really, really shit film, guys. That's what we're going to deliver yeah. audiences. No one, it's, it's, it's a miracle that a movie gets made and it's also yep. a miracle that a movie is any good, but more so animated films because there are so many fingerprints on this. There are so many individual yep. animators that are there to realize one single vision. But in this movie, multiple, 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 oh. multiple visions, multiple aesthetics 
and ways of expressing the story and character because everyone comes with their own unique visual stamp. I mean, holy shit, are they trying to kill each other making a movie like this? (laughs) It just blows my mind. It's no shock that there's three directors right. on you, this movie. You think that's like, uh-oh, too many cooks in the kitchen, but they probably needed They more. needed that. <laughs> but here's the crazier part. Here's the crazier yeah. part. One director, it's his first film. You're joking. The other director has only worked in TV animation, oh. and the third director's only other film before this was Soul in 2020. I mean, Soul is a stunning Soul is animated film. What a beautiful, you know, what a what a first cab off the rank in a filmography. Oh, but incredible, and and wow. obviously they all have experience in art departments and and, and animation and, and effects and stuff. Yeah. Like it's not saying that these guys are completely new to this. Yeah. But to helm a project this big mm. on this scale and with like you said, the amount of cooks in the kitchen that they needed over this f- five year period to make it is a feat in itself. And that's when, when when we do get to the scores at the end, everything I've said about what I didn't like about the story and mm. the event feel of the film was somewhat outweighed by the sheer tenacity of these three directors by Lord and Miller, by David Callahan, mm. by the entire voice cast, because there was more often than not times where I was like, like you said, it's hard enough to make a movie, but what they made here in a visual sense is outstanding and if they're going to top that in the next film in beyond the spider-verse then holy shit like our eyes are getting fed that's what i'm saying like we we will not have hungry eyes after that film yeah where does animation go from this i liken this series to that of those milestone films in pop culture that redefine and would definitely make filmmakers that weren't involved sit back and go wow fuck how the hell am i gonna do that or match that You think of Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, and you think just CGI animation at the time, motion capture, all the rest of it, and that being a benchmark. And and, and unashamedly, everything not looking as good as Avatar for many years because it was just so far ahead of its time. And then for James Cameron to somehow top that... And then movies oh, going, yeah. oh, what do you mean he's done it again? What do you mean? And and it's <laughs> funny because there's been so many films in close succession set in and around the water since Avatar The oh, Way God, Water came uh, out. Right? So yeah, it, yeah. it highlights the things that The Little Mermaid visually and Black Panther were kind of forever visually in the underwater sequences didn't quite get right because totally we have Avatar The Way of Water to compare it to. And that's a good yeah. and bad thing. So the animation genre is, I mean, look, Pixar had a monopoly on this for decades. It doesn't anymore because Sony Animation have proven more than once now that they are an utterly unstoppable powerhouse in this space and they have somehow raised the bar and animation is not going to struggle, but it's going to have to fight harder to reach those dizzy heights that across the Spider-Verse has hit because that's the benchmark now. Oh, absolutely. And and that Pixar comparison is perfect because Pixar, you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah. Now they have a formula and it works because, and don't get me wrong, Pixar films are still stunning to look at. But imagine taking a Pixar film and then taking 2D animation and then taking animation from here and here and here and about 17 different other places uh-huh. and put them all together in one scene. Yeah on one frame on the, on the, on the cinema screen. And that's exactly what this movie does. And it does all of those styles of animation so incredibly well. What the first film felt like being a comic book come to life on screen, somehow it's just been superseded again. 
And I can't even call it like a comic book comes to life on screen because I don't think I've read a comic book that looks like this. Yeah. Like it, it completely stands on its own as something completely unique and original and completely astounding, to be totally honest. But to have the creative mindset to do something like this, like, again, these three directors who are working on it have all, you know, had their fingers in, in great pies of, of animation. But I think a lot of it comes back to Lord and Miller. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, at Phil Lord and Chris Miller's work previously, the Lego movie, that whole franchise, 2122 Jump Street, uh, they did Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't know if you ever watched The After Party on Apple TV+, Plus, the series, murder mystery series. Mm-hmm. Quick tangent on that. It's a murder mystery series where the murder's tale is told from all the unique points of view, but all is a different genre. So there's an action one, there's a comedy one, there's a musical. There's it's incredible. That's like cool. Cocaine Bear even. The common theme <laughs> is Lord and Miller. And these guys are doing things in the film space at the moment that on another level of anyone else working in this industry. Even the James Cameron thing is like, sure, he's got the monopoly on like 3D CGI effects. Mm. I don't think he's making amazing films. I didn't walk away from Way of Water being completely emotionally changed, but I was like shit, that's a good-looking movie. Yeah. A lot of Lord and Miller's work, I do walk away going, that is something I've actually never seen before. Yeah. And that's, I think, a testament to those guys. And that's just definitely a feeling of, of what Across the Spider-Verse gives uh, through its, not just through its animation style, but just through its the idea of it and the concept of it as its own thing. That is a profound statement and a true statement. And, yeah, th- those two, Lord and Miller, are really just bringing it every time. Every time. Every single time. Well, my friend, if there's nothing else on the tip of your tongue, let's wrap up this <laughs> I'm, bad boy. I'm scared you'll have to, after me shitting on everything being a part one and part two, if you have to release this as a part one, part two, I apologize. <laughs> I'm a massive, massive hypocrite. Two episodes into the spinoff and I'm already having to like change the entire model of it because we, know, we just never shut up. Well, we spent the opening talking about... <laughs> State of Origin. We didn't even get into State of the origin. movie pages. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah, I know. Oh, Lord. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. All right, my friend, uh, let's hear your wrap-up and, and rating. Coming into Across the Spider-Verse, I had such high hopes because, to me, Into the Spider-Verse is genuinely a five-star film. Across the Spider-Verse had the potential to be a five-star film. Its animation is outstanding. The voice acting is outstanding. The characters are developed in such a beautifully unique and grounded way. It's just bogged down being too much of a good thing. Mm. There's too much story that repeats itself. There's too many themes that repeat themselves. And the extended runtime really doesn't help that a lot. It should be a five-star film, but I have to give it four popcorn kernels out of five for this one just because there's a bit of wasted potential there. That's all right. No, I won't let anyone come for you. I won't let anyone <laughs> come for you for that. Please protect me, Sid. <laughs> In part two, you can come for Nick. <laughs> ban him, ban him. All right. So Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is one word. Spectacular. Truly a marvel in animation. And once again, Sony have managed to forge new and innovative ways to realize storytelling in this age-old medium. This one was a more mature, emotional, and character-driven piece than I anticipated with big heart and emotional stakes yet still delivers on an array of insane action and energy. 
The runtime, though, and its balance of all those moving story parts didn't quite cast the perfect web for me. However, this is cinema at its best, and fans of the first will be more than satisfied and will be ready to go beyond the Spider-Verse next year. I'm going to rate Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse for Popcorn Kernels as well, Nick. So we're on the same page there. We're on the same page. They can come for us both together. They're going to have to. And uh, I think as well, you know, the whole first half of our conversation definitely focused on what we didn't like about it. But I think that, and I... I hope you don't mind me speaking mm, for you in this this element, is that I think we wanted so much more out of it. There was so much potential there. Mm. And I think it came from a place of passion where I really, really wanted this to be a five-star movie because yeah. I much love the first one. And that's okay. Like four stars is still, that's or four popcorn kernels. Good rating. It's huge. But with the potential that could have been is, is what hurts the most. Yeah. yeah, it does. And it comes from a place of passion, like you said. I couldn't have said it better. Well, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse swings into Australian cinemas from June 1. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Pals. I was joined by Nick Labarro of Nick's Flicks Fix and his 17,000 other podcasts that he referenced at the top of the episode. Now, I don't know how you're going to do this. I guess you've got to pick your darlings or pick your favorite child. But where can people find you? If you go to Instagram at Nick's Flicks Fix, that's where you'll find everything. It's my <laughs> movie reviews, the video ones, the written ones, the podcasts. I got a link tree. Yeah. It's it's too big, but you'll find all my stuff there. It's something that will hopefully tickle your fancy because <laughs> I got a lot of shit there. You literally cast a shadow on every corner of the film world genre. <laughs> <laughs> my presence is no. I, I am spider-versing myself <laughs> into the film criticism world. That's it. Now I'm really pissed off I didn't think of that myself. That's the sort of pun that I live for. Anyway, we live and learn. Well, as always, thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found.